Well, good morning. Uh, it's good to be here. I, uh, I've been on vacation for two weeks, so if you are uh, have just started coming to Hope Works, you may not even recognize me, and you're like, who is this guy up here? Shane is out of town, and he's asked me to speak today. And um, I'm one of the deacons here at Hope Works, and uh, I also lead deeper on Wednesday nights. And I uh, have been going through the book of 2 Corinthians in deeper. Um, and so I, I chose an excerpt of 2 Corinthians to speak today. And I just prayed when I, when I found out that I was preaching this Sunday, I just prayed. I said, Lord, you know, what would you have me speak on? And he just kept bringing this theme of reconciliation to my mind. So let me pray. Let me start out with a prayer and just ask the Lord to speak through me. And let's see where he takes us. Heavenly Father, Lord, I just thank you that you are here in our presence. I thank you, Father, that you can speak through a man like me. Lord, fill me with your spirit. May your words be heard, not my words, Lord. I pray that your presence would be known here today. Would you work in the hearts of everyone sitting in these pews? Lord, I pray that I would give you glory, and we need to hear from you, Heavenly Father. Open up our hearts and our minds, in Jesus' name. Back in 2001, um, I was in a transitional phase in my life where I was going from one business and I was trying to find a new direction for my life. I was still young, in my 20s, and I would meet with a friend at Starbucks, and he and I would meet every day and we would kind of brainstorm. And um, it was, it was actually an exciting time in my life because I had my, you know, so much before me. Around that same time, I was sitting at Starbucks, and I look over at a table next to me, and this guy is reading his Bible. And I ask him, I said, what, what's going on, man? My name's Luke. How are you doing? What are you reading? And of course, I mean, that was a stupid question because I knew he was reading his Bible. But I figured if he was reading his Bible, he's not going to be rude to me, right? Because Christians are really polite. Well, that guy was Shane Gray. And... Back then, Shane, the pastor, was leading an outreach called um, Cafe Friday down at the Church of Burleson. Many people here are, we, we all know each other from back then. Well, uh, uh, I got plugged in with Shane, started attending uh, Cafe Friday a uh, long time ago, <clears throat> and, and it wasn't until several years later that Shane had a vision to start a church, and, and that's how I am now involved here at Hope Works. But the interesting thing about that time in my life is that only a few weeks later after I met Shane, I was there again at Starbucks, and this pretty girl was there, and I was there um, sitting with my friend, and my friend knew her friend, and they started talking, and so I introduced myself to this young lady named Jane, and Jane is now my wife. And so I met Shane and Jane. And, and you look and you can say, what a coincidence. But you know, one, one thing I know is that God has had his hand in my life. God has made himself evident by directing my st steps. It has given me such a grateful heart to know that my life isn't just a bunch of random circumstances that are happenstance or chance. Because I know if it was up to me, I would bungle it. And I did almost bungle it. 
And when Jane and I were first dating, we, well, we actually dated for several years. And I was a, a, a very self-confident, uh, idealistic young man. And I wanted things my way. I wanted to do it, to do it all on my own. And it came to a point where, where Jane had just flat out asked me, you know, we had been dating for years, and she said, are, you, are we going to get married or not? And, and everything hadn't lined up the way I had wanted it. And I wanted to be perfect on my terms, on my terms, right? And that, that wasn't going to happen. It was never going to be on my terms because I don't control life. And so Jane eventually said, look, I love you, but if we're not going to get married, then we're just wasting our time here. And so she said goodbye to me. And, and that would have been the end of the story. Months had passed. One day, I was sitting in my room in my house, and I was moping before God. And I was just like, Lord, you know, why am I so lonely? Why have you not brought me a wife? And, you know, I think that I so disgusted the Lord that he actually spoke to me. It was one of the few times in my life where I feel like I really heard the voice of God. And he said, Luke, I did, but she wasn't good enough for you. Well, when you hear from God, you know it, and something changes on the inside of you. And in that moment, I came to the realization that I made a terrible mistake. I had made a terrible mistake in my pridefulness, in my desire to be in charge, in my desire to have everything on my terms. I had let a blessing from God slip between my fingers. I immediately get on the phone and try to reach out to Jane, who would have nothing to do with me. I emailed her father and said, I want to meet with you. I mean, we hadn't been speaking for months. And then when I realized that it was dead silence, uh, I eventually resorted to prayer. And I can remember that week that I had Shane come over and we prayed together that, that God would fix these mistakes that I had made. And it turns out that um, I eventually bought a ring went to Jane's apartment, and she came out on the balcony, and I said, here is the ring, will you marry me? And, you know, that is the point at which we were reconciled, and I had to prove that I was for real. But a change had happened in my heart. And reconciliation between people is sometimes similar between reconciliation between man and God. In this case, when we reconcile with God, we're not putting that ring on God. He's putting that ring on us. And so, uh, before I start today, you know, uh, I want to read a couple of stories to illustrate what we have to do, what has to happen in our hearts to be reconciled. As we've been going through deeper, um, the 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 main scripture that I pulled out uh, was 2 Corinthians chapter 5, and you have it in your handout, and it's uh, verses 17 through 21, and, and that's in there. I'm not going to read it just yet. I want to st start out with the story of the prodigal son. We have to understand the heart of God 
before we can be reconciled. Now, I know that probably most of you here today are Christians. And, and I don't want you to turn off this message because even me as a Christian, sometimes I need to be reconciled again with God. It doesn't mean that I am, have lost my salvation. It means that my current standing relationship with God just needs to be fixed. So those of you who, who are sitting in the pews and are believers, this message is also for you. Well, we know in the story of the, the, the prodigal son, it's a great story. The story of the prodigal son is a story, it's one of three stories that Jesus spoke to the Pharisees to illustrate his relationship or God's relationship to man and how much he loves us and is willing to value us as, as people when we come to him. But a lot of people, when they hear the story of the prodigal son, it's just cliche. We've heard it so many times, we forget the real meaning of what it's talking about. And the prodigal son is, is such a wonderful story because it's about you and me. And at any one time, we're either the prodigal son, the wayward son who ran away from God, or we may be the older brother who is also far from God and looking down his nose in self-righteousness. In the early part of my life, I was the older brother. In the second uh, part of my, my young adulthood, I was the younger brother. And it was only until realizing that I was both that I was able to truly be humble before God. So let me, let me share a little bit about that. Uh, we find the story, and you don't need to turn to it, I'll read. Uh, Luke 15, chapter, I mean, chapter 15, verses 17 30, 30, 32, the story of the prodigal son. It starts out with a young man who comes to his father and says, Dad, I want my share of the inheritance. In those days, the younger son got a lesser portion. The Bible isn't specific about what portion it was. It probably was just a percentage. And he said, look, I'll give you this. You know, you can take it. Well, not long after that, the boy takes his money and runs. I'm free from any oversight. I can do what I want. I can be who I want to be. I don't need anyone to tell me what to do. I'm going to go off into a far off land, and I'm going to live however I want. And that's just what he did. So he took that money, he went off to a foreign country, outside of the gaze of his father, any, any oversight from anyone, and he squandered that money. He lived wild, he probably had a great time doing it, and when all of that money was gone, he was dead broke. Well, about that time, a famine came over the land, hard times came over that land, and he came to the end of himself. And he got so hungry and desperate that he hired himself out to somebody from that country. But he didn't hire himself out as somebody dignified and educated. He hired himself out as the lowliest of workers feeding pigs. Feeding pigs, as we know, Jews would have nothing to do with swine. They are forbidden food for Jews. To be around them is repulsive for the Jewish man or woman. Um, even to this day in Israel, Many Jews do not touch pork, and um, it, they are considered unclean. So this, so this man got so desperate, he was put in charge of feeding the swine in this field. And he got so hungry that he even started eating the pods that the swine were eating. 
It was the lowest point that a Jewish boy could ever come to. He needed to get to that point before something could change in his heart. And he realized, he said, you know what? Even the hired hands in my father's house live better than I am right now. Even they, even the lowest people on the totem pole in my father's home live better than, than I am right now. So he, so he packed up and he returned to his father. Let me read to you, starting in verse 17. When he came to his senses, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have food to spare? And here I am starving to death. I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. So he got up and went to his father. While he was yet still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him, and kissed him. In the Greek, uh, it says, and he just covered him in kisses. He's just kissing him all over. Have you ever done that to your, to your kids? I love to do that to mine. The son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. So they began to celebrate. Meanwhile, the older son was in the field. When he came near the house, he heard music and dancing. So he called one of the servants and asked him what was going on. Your brother has come home, he replied, and your father has killed the fattened calf because he has him back safe and sound. The older brother became very angry and refused to go in. So his father went out and pleaded with him. But he answered his father, Look, all these years I've been slaving for you and never disobeyed you once. You never gave me even a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours, who has squandered your property with prostitutes, comes home, you kill the fattened calf for him. My son, the father said, you are always with me. And everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and be glad because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. The story touches my heart because I am that younger brother. I am that younger brother. Whether you know it or not, you are that younger brother. You are that younger brother. It's unfortunate to say that sometimes after we know Christ, we sometimes morph into the older brother. 
just pray that God would examine your hearts as, as I'm speaking and, and ask yourself, which one are you and why? On what basis are you one or the other? I have another story to tell you that Jesus spoke. It's the story of the Pharisees and the tax collector from Luke 18. Starting in verse 9, to some who were confident in their own righteousness and looked down on everyone else, Jesus told this parable. Two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee stood by himself and prayed, God, I thank you that I'm not like other people, like robbers, like evildoers, adulterers, even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week, and I give a tenth of everything I get. But the tax collector stood at a distance. He would not even look up to heaven, but he beat his breast and said, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. I tell you, Jesus said, I tell you that this man, rather than the other, the Pharisee, went home justified before God. For all those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. There's something profound to note about both of these stories. It is the humbled wayward son who is received by the father. It is the contrite tax collector, fully aware of his own wretchedness, who is forgiven by God. And so it is with us. We must ask the Lord to open our hearts and our eyes and reveal to us who we really are. If you are sitting in the pews patting yourself on the back for not being like the drunkard or the prostitute down the street, we have them outside. If you go to this church, you see people that need God every single day, then you're missing the point of this, the entire Bible. You're missing the point of everything that Christ said. You're missing the point of the gospel. What is it that held the older brother and the Pharisees from being reconciled to God? Pride. Pride is the ultimate barrier of separation between God and man. For this reason, in the Beatitudes, Jesus said, blessed are the meek, blessed are the poor in spirit. If you consider yourself spiritual apart from Jesus, the chasm between you and God is immense. Because true spirituality, I think everyone here, if you're here today, you probably consider yourself spiritual to some extent. It's very popular to be spiritual because we wanted to distance ourselves from religion. But true spirituality cannot exist apart from God cannot exist apart from from Jesus, and it cannot exist without the recognition that mankind, apart from God, is completely depraved. We are completely depraved. Paul says in Romans 7, 24, O wretched man that I am, O wretched man that I am, if Paul said this, one of the greatest apostles who did more to spread the gospel around the entire world. If Paul said about himself, O wretched man that I am, how can we sit 
and pat ourselves on the back and be confident in our own self-righteousness. Who will deliver me from this body of death? Absolute surrender is the key to reconciliation between man and God. Has God opened your eyes to the need for him? Have you surrendered to him? So, so this is not a, a gloomy message. I'm not trying to get you to feel bad about your sin. What I'm trying to do is to shine light on the amazing, radical nature of our gospel. A deeper, I love to constantly focus on the gospel. The gospel is the heart of the New Testament. The gospel is the power by which we are changed. The gospel is the reason Jesus Christ came here to earth to save us through the message of the gospel. I'm going to go through the gospel in a little bit. But the gospel is um, so radical and it's so easy, whether you're a non-believer or whether you're a believer, to muddle up the simplicity of its radical nature. If you take both of these stories that Jesus told, we stand before God empty-handed. And we cry out to him, and he saves us. That's, that's the nature of the gospel. It's radical. It is radical. Because we contribute nothing. We contribute nothing. I, I went to a religious school growing up. I was Episcopalian growing up. We went to chapel. I went to school. We went to chapel every single morning. We took communion every Wednesday. And then oftentimes we went to church on Sunday. I honestly do not remember a single service where the gospel was presented. I do not remember one. I'm not saying it never was. Maybe it was. Maybe I wasn't paying attention. But I, I don't remember it. Um, I became a Christian sometime in my life as a young boy. My mom was a believer. My grandmother was a believer. Um, and then I just felt that tugging on my heart uh, early on in life. And I, I needed God. I needed God. My, my dad um, was not a believer until I was about 15. And he struggled with addiction. And so our home life at times was great. At other times, it was very difficult. And um, needless to say, I had a lot of hang-ups. I was uh, a unique boy very uh, introverted at times, and uh, I knew that I needed help. And, and for, for many years, God was my only refuge to kind of escape the difficulties that I was going through. And many times as believers, when you go through hardship, we have this tendency of having somehow those hardships account for our own holiness, our own self-righteousness. And so what I started doing, I was like, well, I suffered here, Lord. I suffered here, Lord. I suffered here. And now you owe me. No, I didn't tell the Lord that he owed me because that would be too presumptuous. But in my heart, I felt it. I felt that God owed me something because of the pain and the suffering that I went through. 
And so after I was already a believer, something began to open up between God and I, and distance began to occur, and um, there was a, a time in my 20s where I really was in a full-on rebellion. I was really on a full-on rebellion. And it was a very painful time in my life because as a believer, when you're in rebellion and you have the Holy Spirit living inside you, the Holy Spirit is grieving uh, and, and knows that you're on the wrong path. And you cannot have peace. So, so God was gracious uh, to me. Uh, one day uh, I was at the pool here in Fort Worth enjoying hanging out. Um, I was... Um, sitting next to a, a guy I knew from, from school, from TCU, and he said, Luke, why don't you come to church with me tomorrow? And um, I said, okay. And, and I did. And that was no mistake. I still run into that guy, and I thank him all the time. I went to church, and God opened up my eyes to show me how off course I had gotten and I had let all of this heartache that I had let build up, and taking, instead of taking that heartache to the cross, see, I, I, I didn't have the tools, I didn't have the, the maturity in my faith to take that heartache to the Lord. I was bottling it up. I was bottling it up. And, and so when I put those burdens on me, I thought it was my role to carry all my burdens. I, I didn't know that I had a Savior that I could go to with all my petitions and all my requests and all of these things that I was suffering, I wasn't taking him those things to the cross. I wasn't building my relationship with Christ. I was saying, I can handle this. I will take this one, and I will take this one. And slowly, I was building a wall and a callus that was just drawing me farther and farther away from my sensitivity to the Holy Spirit. And, and I, so I started going to church, and, and um, we, we had a, there was a Wednesday night worship service. It was mainly praise and worship. And, and I think for about two years, for, for the whole worship part of that, I just cried. I had been carrying so much, that, and I had just bottled it up. It's not that I had forgotten anything that had ever happened to me. I had bottled it up, and I cried. And I cried, and I cried, and I realized that that was the Holy Spirit that was working on me. And I got to a point of brokenness where I finally, I wasn't saved again, but I was reconciled again between God. And that reconciliation took place when I said, Lord, I'm empty-handed. I'm empty-handed before you, Lord. Save me. And it wasn't that I needed salvation because I was already saved. I was already saved. But what I needed salvation from was this body and fleshly mind that had decided to take control back and was self-reliant instead of God-reliant. Our gospel is so amazing, and I don't want you all to suffer in the ways that I did. So today, let's ask ourselves some questions, and let's, let's go through... Uh, some simple things, and I just want you to self-examine to see how, um, how you all are, are doing in your own walk. Um, 
let me read to you first uh, 2 Corinthians 5, 17. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old has gone, the new is here. All this is from God, who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them. He's not counting your sin against you. God is reconciling you to himself. God is reconciling you to himself. You see how radical this is? Sometimes we can read through the Bible and the words go in and we like, I've heard that before, but we don't register how radical this message is. The gospel is incredibly radical. It's like no other religion. It's a divine revelation. And he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. God has reconciled us to himself. And then in doing so, he's going to give us that message of reconciliation so that we can share it with others. Verse 20. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors as though we were making his appeal through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. If you all have been coming to Hope Works, you have heard Shane preach on that we are the righteousness of God. It sounds kind of crazy, doesn't it? Because we all know each other, and if you know yourself, you know that you sin. You know, if, if you take a deep look in the mirror, that we're still not fully freed from sin. As long as we remain in this body, we struggle against sin. Um, these words here were written by the Apostle Paul. And you ever wonder, what, what is it that made the Apostle Paul such an amazing instrument of the gospel? I believe that Paul understood the gospel in a way that was so rich and so much deeper than any of the other apostles. Um, I love, and I, and I give so much preference to the letters that Paul wrote in deeper because they have that focus on the gospel. And so much of my life is living and breathing that gospel because I want it to be part of my DNA. I want it to be part of how I think. And I'm still undoing years of damage from worldliness and, and trying to ingrain the gospel living into my mind and into my heart. Well, we know that in the early church, uh, after the day of Pentecost, the early disciples were out preaching. One day, Stephen, who was a young uh, follower of the way, the follower of Christ, was out speaking the truth of the gospel, and some men gathered around him, and some Jews did, and accused him of blasphemy, and they picked up stones, and they started slamming him and killed him. And that was just the first of many, many Christians who were murdered. It is presumed that it was Paul the Apostle at the time, his name was Saul of Tarsus, and it is presumed that Saul was standing over the stoning of Stephen. Saul was a killer. Saul would be no different than ISIS, one of the, one of the religious fanatics 
of Islam standing over a, a Christian in Syria who was proclaiming the gospel and taking up stones and stoning a Christian to death. I don't know if you all have paid any attention to what's gone on in Syria, but many, many, many Christians, thousands of them, have been executed in the most horrific ways. In the most horrific ways. It's going on today. It's going on today. This is not something that just happened 2,000 years ago. It is going on today. How would you feel about God making a leader of ISIS one of the chief uh, voices for the gospel. Now, it may be a little bit of a stretch to, to equate ISIS with, with the Pharisees, but I just want to paint a picture of how radical it was that Paul the Apostle became the chief uh, voice for an advocate for spreading the gospel throughout the uh, Gentile lands. Why is it that he was so effective? Well, we all know the story of Paul. He was on his way uh, to persecute some some, uh, Christians. And on the road to Damascus, Syria, a light shone and God appeared to him and he was blinded. And possibly the chariots were knocked over or however they were traveling and, and he fell down. And God said to him, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And so in that moment, God intervened in Saul's life. And from then on, he was going to be known as Paul. And so Paul eventually was told to go and find uh, some Christians, and they prayed for him, and he was given his sight back. But Paul realized he was a filthy evil murderer who had been killing innocent people who were following God. He had been doing the exact opposite of helping God. He was killing God's people. Paul knew that he was empty-handed. And so here I'm back at, at, at my point is that all of us, if you want to be an effective Christian, if you want to be effective in your, in your walk, in your relationship to God. If you don't know God, if you don't know God today and you're sitting in the pews and you're thinking, well, I'm too much of a sinner, then I want you to listen to to this message. So in your handout, I wrote down a question. Are you reconciled to God? Now you can, if you're a Christian, then you're already saved. But are you close to him? Are you close to him, okay? You can write yes or no. The first question that you need to ask yourself is, are you born again? Are you born again? What does it mean to be born again? To be born again is the supernatural act where we come before the Lord and we say, Lord, I'm empty-handed before you. I am a sinner. I bring nothing before you. I only recognize that I need a Savior. And I cannot do anything with my sin. Forgive me of my sins and save me. Forgive me of my sins and save me. And, and I ask that you would be my Lord. I ask that you would be my Lord. Some of the verses that, that um, 
relate to that. Jesus himself told Nicodemus in John 3.3 that you must be born again to enter into heaven. The, the theological term for that is regeneration. Our spirit on the inside of us before we know God is dead. We're dead on the inside. We're corrupted. We're corrupted. When we meet God, when we come before him, he breathes life into us. And we are made anew. We are given a new spirit. This was predicted in the Old Testament in Ezekiel 36, 26, where it says, I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. I will remove from you the heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. This, is, this started in the Old Testament. This isn't something new. 2 Corinthians, which I just read, in 5.17 says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old is gone, the new is here. The old is gone. The new is here. What is he talking about? We know we have the same body. After we get saved, we still look in the mirror and we have this, this body that's still kind of drawing us away from the Lord. He's talking about our spirit on the inside. 1 Peter 1.23 says, You have been born again, not from a seed that can be destroyed, but from God's everlasting word that can't be destroyed. The King James Version puts it this way, Being born again, not of a corruptible seed, but an incorruptible seed, by the word of God, which liveth and abideth forever. So, when we, when we become, when we are born again, when we're saved, we're born again. God breathed his life uh, inside of us, and we're given a new spirit. I don't want to get too technical on theological terms, but, but we're justified before God. He forgives us for our sins. We become regenerate. He, re, he breathes a new spirit into us. And then we enter in this journey called sanctification. And so I am on that journey of sanctification. God is making me more like him every day. I am on this road to be conformed to, to Christ's likeness. Hopefully those of you who knew me 20 years ago are, are seeing that fruit come out, uh, that I'm a, I'm a different and I'm better than I was 20 years ago. Hopefully I'm better than I was five years ago. Hopefully I'm better than I was three years ago. And then here, just to put the icing on the cake, I love this verse, Ephesians 1, 3, 1.13, excuse me. And you were included in Christ when you heard the message of truth. When were you included in Christ? When were you put into Christ? When you heard the message of truth. The gospel of your salvation. When you heard the message, and it's not the kind of hearing that you hear it and it goes in one out here, in one ear and out the other. It's the kind of hearing that you take action on. The kind of hearing that you say, okay, Lord, I hear you and I'm going to do something about it. The gospel of your salvation. When you believed, when you believed, when you believed this message and you were saved, you were marked in him with the seal, the promised Holy Spirit. Every single one of you, if you have received Christ, if you are born again, you are sealed with the Holy Spirit. In, in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, it, uh, it, it mentions it also, and if we were to read on, it said, this is the guarantee of heaven. God has put a down payment on eternity by putting his Holy Spirit inside of you. 
We have, right now, in all of us, if we are believers, we have a down payment of heaven living inside of us. We have one foot in this earth and one foot in eternity. This verse has been so much more beautiful to me, having lost my father recently. Uh, I see that I am not so far removed from him, because I know where he is, and I know where I'm going. And I've got one foot in here and one foot in there. I already have that deposit of heaven deposited inside of me. So, so let me go back to our questions. And just ask yourself honestly, is God your ally or your adversary? How do you see God? Is he somebody that you can call Abba Father? Is he somebody that you say, Daddy, I trust you no matter what is going on with my life? I have financial problems. I have cancer. I have people dying around me. Everything's falling apart. Do you have the kind of relationship that you come to your father, your heavenly father, and and he's your ally, he's your advocate, he's your protector? Is that the kind of relationship that you have with God? Or is he your adversary? Is your Christian walk more of an adversarial one? Is it something where you're like, oh Lord, I know that I messed up and you know, I don't know, you know, what's going on, and I'm far away from you, and I'm going to disappear from church for two weeks. You can be a Christian and still have a, an adversarial relationship to your Heavenly Father. Is your heart humble? Is your heart humble, or is it prideful? I struggle with this. I'm not pointing my finger at you. I got the material for this message by looking at me. By looking in the mirror and saying, Lord, what have I struggled with? Pride has been one of my biggest adversaries, one of my biggest obstacles in my Christian walk. And only through God allowing me to stumble and bringing me to my knees has God fully been able to humble me where I sit and before the Lord and just say, Lord, I need you. I need you, Heavenly Father. And I'll mention some of them, because sometimes, um, you know, you can always point to somebody else and be like, they have a great life. You look at my beautiful wife and my three beautiful kids, my great house, and you say, that guy has no problems at all. He's never suffered or struggled through anything. And you know what? In some ways, maybe you're right. But, But God has challenged me in my own right. About eight years ago, right after my son, who's sitting right here in the, in the middle, was born, um, I, I started waking up in the middle of the night, and I couldn't swallow. And I went to the doctor, and, and, and I just said, hey, I've got this weird thing in my throat, and I don't know what's going on. And he said, you need to get that checked out. That is a tumor. And so I went and had it x-rayed. And they diagnosed me at the time with thyroid cancer. And it was follicular thyroid cancer. It's a kind that spreads throughout your body. And I was probably weak in my faith at that time because I didn't honestly have the faith it would, was unwavering. And I confess this to you, I didn't. I didn't. 
And um, one of the most beautiful things that was ever given to me was allowing me to be a father. I had a, a challenging father-son relationship with my dad. And I knew that God had given me a son as a means of healing, a, 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 a means of getting to do it all over again. That those difficulties, that, that challenging father-son relationship, that, that, that generational curse was going to be broken with me. I wasn't going to let my son experience the same struggles that I went through as a son because I was a believer. My dad, as I mentioned earlier, didn't fully know the Lord until, he, until I was 15 years old. And, um, and so, so I would, my, my wife at the time was working on the weekends. I would, wor- I would work all week. I would come home. She would pass me the baby. And I'm, granted, I'm a man. I mean, I would take this baby, and I, I was a new dad, and I was doing the best that I can. But I would put him to bed. I would feed him. I would do everything. And I would rock him, and I would say, Lord, save me. Save me, Lord. Don't let me die. I want to be a father to this boy. I want to be a father to this boy. I want to extend the blessing that you have shown me. I want that same blessing to be on my children. And I want to have a change in the trajectory of this family line. I know God's grace. I know God's grace. This is God's grace that he's sitting right here and I'm standing right up here. You know, we prayed, we prayed a lot and um, I had a lot of people praying here at church and um, they took out the tumor and in the end, the doctor declared it benign and I did not have cancer. And whether, whether I had cancer or not, you know what, it doesn't matter to me. I'll only know when I get to heaven. But I know one thing is that God was with me. God was with me. Well, that journey of having my thyroid removed was a journey of, of, of wasn't over there just in that, point, in that moment. Having your thyroid, your, you need your thyroid to live, and your thyroid controls everything about you. And so I have been on the journey since I had that removed of struggling to feel normal again. I take medication every day, but I, I often fight a, a battle with chronic fatigue, and I don't make a big deal out of it. God is, supplies me. But you know what? This strong man, this strong man who is me, I'm, I'm, I'm strong-headed, strong-willed, self-reliant. I can do it myself. I don't need anyone's help. God has had to use these difficulties and these trials to weaken my flesh so that I would come before him in humility and say, Lord, I need you. I need you. You know how hard those words are for me to declare to him. Um, Is your heart humble or prideful? Is your heart humble or prideful? I can tell you my heart is humble right now. It took a lot. I fought God for so long, it took a lot for him to make my heart humble. I'm so grateful that God loves me enough to work in my life, to challenge me, that he's taking care of me, that he is working through me to make me more like him. Are you grateful or are you discontent? Are you grateful? Do you wake up in the morning and say, Lord, thank you. Thank you for everything that I have. Thank you for my family. Thank you that you saved me. 
thank you that you're working in my life? Or are you discontent? My marriage isn't right. My job stinks. I'm not making enough money. I don't feel good. Life isn't the way I expected it. I've said all of those things to God, by the way. Are you quarrelsome or are you compassionate? When people look at your life, do you have all of these people surrounding you and you have little fights going on and you have a, a beef with this person and you have a beef over here and this person offended you and this person offended you and, and all around you are just little broken relationships? Or are you compassionate and reconciled to other people around us? You don't think people are offending me all the time? You don't think people have wronged me all the time? Absolutely they have. All of us are in that. All of us are in that. But when we are right with our Heavenly Father, we, by that same grace that He pours on us to be reconciled to Him, we are commanded to forgive, whether right or wrong. doesn't matter if they don't deserve forgiveness. It doesn't matter that they don't deserve forgiveness. We can be reconciled to them. <clears throat> and here I come to the last question. Do you want to be reconciled to God? Now, I don't know. I can't look into your hearts and see. And really, I, I wrote this message hoping to reach out to somebody who is not a believer today. But I know that most of us are. If you're coming to this church, you've heard the gospel, and, and you're probably coming here because you have already received Christ. But this message is still for you. And, I, and when we printed out the bullet points in your handout, it kind of got um, un reformatted. There's, there's, you can see the first bullet point is actually a series of bullet points. <clears throat> I'm just going to walk through to you. And this would be a good reminder, just in our own salvation, that we can share this with other people in our lives. So, so, do you want to be reconciled to God? Acknowledge your sin and your need for, for forgiveness. You know, I still sin. I still sin. I'm not perfect. There are, there are some that believe that once you become a Christian, you should never sin again. The, the truth is, it is, as it says in Ezekiel, we are, only un, we are only able to start living the Christian walk once we have been regenerate. Once we have the Holy Spirit placed inside of us and we are born again on the inside. Before that, we were never able to live by God's statutes. It's only by this outward conforming of self-will to some religious uh, principles, that's the best we can do without God. But see, God wants us to be changed in the heart. God wants our hearts to be changed, radically, radically changed. So we acknowledge, Lord, I'm a sinner. I'm a sinner. And I don't have anything on you. This balance sheet where I'm keeping score of everything that you owe me, God, I'm going to rip that up because I know that this is an illusion. I don't have anything on you, Lord. I don't have anything. I come before you empty-handed. You ask God to forgive you and ask him to turn your heart away from sin. I still have to pray that prayer. I still have to go before God. I still have to go before my wife, I still have to go before my children sometimes and ask for forgiveness. I still have to go before you all sometimes and ask for forgiveness. Put your trust in and give lordship over your life to Jesus. 
who not only has removed the penalty of your sin, it's removed. It's forever removed. It's forever removed. The penalty is never going to be there. The penalty is gone. And he has breathed new life into your soul. John 3.36 says, Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life, but whoever rejects the Son will not see life, for God's wrath remains on them. Acts 16.31, believe in, that means in the Greek, when, when that word says believe in, it's not an intellectual belief, it's the kind of belief, like what I said earlier, when you, when you hear that it, it's an action, you believe in it so much that you change the way you're going to live. It means commit, commit your life to the Lord Jesus and you will be saved, Acts 16.31. And then lastly, the fourth point, the fourth bullet point, consider that you will die and you will face God. Experiencing death as I'm getting older has helped my Christian walk so much. Because when we're, especially, and I'm only going to speak for me, but as a young man, you know, I was immortal. I was strong. I was smart. I was good looking. I'm just kidding about that part. Uh, <laughs> Uh, but you know, I had it all. Nothing's ever going to hurt me. I don't need anyone. I'm going to live forever. I'm invincible, right? I'm invincible. That is such a tragedy for me. Had I been walking more closely in my faith with the Lord from an earlier age, how many heartaches would he have spared me of? The good, the good news is that even, even now I can look back and see how God is weaving together even my mistakes for his glory. But I'm bringing those mistakes before him. So, so consider that you will die and you will face God. If we don't come to that realization that every day that we live is one less day that you're here on earth, we're all going to face him. We're all going to face him. And I'm looking forward to that day. I want to live a long time. I hope that I have 40 or 50 years left on me. But you know what? I'm no longer squandering my days for myself. I'm saying, Lord, I want to make this count. I want to make every day count so that I can live for you. I can live for my family. Because one day, I'm not going to be here anymore. And I'm not going to have an impact on them. The impact that I'm having on them is today. It's today. Christ has assured us life after death when we surrender our lives to him. The gospel, the true gospel, and there's many gospels being preached, but the true gospel is radical. It's not that we may, if you follow these rules or get this certain thing done, that if you are saved, you will spend eternity with God. We have assurance. We have the assurance that it is a work that God has done. If you're looking to yourself in the mirror to wonder if you're saved or not, whether you measure up, I guarantee you don't. You don't measure up. Salvation is a work solely of God in us. In us. Christ has assured us of life after death when we surrender our lives to him. I tell you, now is the time of God's favor. Now is the day of salvation. That's 2 Corinthians 6.2. Do you ever 
have friends that you talk to and you share the gospel, well, you know what, I'm, I'm, I'm distracted right now. I'm in this or that. I need to clean up my life. I need to clean up my life before I get right with God. You know what, I'm, not, I'm too busy with, for church. I'm, I'm, I really had this great thing going on Sundays, and I don't want to mess that up. I'll get serious about God at some other time. You know when that some other time is? It's never. It's never. It's never going to happen. Today is the day of grace. If you are hearing the message of the gospel and you've never received it, today is the day to open up your heart. Today is the day that God is ready to receive you as a son, to put a ring on your finger, to put the robe of righteousness around you and say, I have washed all of your sin away. I will make you my own. I will breathe my spirit into you. I will put your name in the book of eternal life. Your your future is assured, not based on anything that you have done, not based on your good works, not based on your attendance in church, not based on any rituals that you went through, but based on the fact that you humbled yourself before the almighty creator of this earth, and you have asked for forgiveness and received the amazing work of Jesus Christ on the cross who paid for our sins. And the righteous life that he lived while he was here, that righteousness is imputed to us. It is marked across us and said, when God looks at us, he says, I see the same righteousness of my son, and I have placed it upon you. At no point will I ever enter into heaven based on my own good works. If I die next year, or if I die in 40 years, hopefully I will continue this process of sanctification as God conforms me to a holier life. But I promise you, and it's important to realize, that my holiness, it will never be the basis of my relationship to God. It's not going to be my own holiness. The prostitute on the street, the drunkard on the street corner that's sleeping outside our building. I'm going to enter in on the same ticket that they are, on the same ticket. And that ticket is the grace that God has extended to me. It is not my righteous works. I have done nothing to receive this salvation, this incredible salvation. That doesn't seem fair. You know what? It's not fair. It's not fair because none of us deserve it. None of us deserve it. That is why this is a radical message. It's a radical message. So whether you already know God or whether you want to know God, I just pray that, you know, all of us, let's just pray together. I'm going to say a prayer and you just um, listen quietly and let the Lord speak to you. I want all of us to be changed today. I want to be changed today. Dear Heavenly Father, I come before you empty-handed. I come before you empty-handed, Lord. You know my life. I would never want my life to be put out on a screen, to be shown in front of anyone else. But you know my life, Lord. And you've blotted it out. You've blotted it out, and I know it's nailed to the cross. 
It's nailed to the cross. Everything that I've done, you took all of my sins and you nailed it to that cross and those sins are dead. There's nothing that I can bring before you except my disobedience and my sin. Father, forgive me for all unrighteousness. By the sacrifice Christ made on the cross, I ask you to cleanse me. Give me a new heart. Breathe into me a new spirit. May my flesh no longer rule over me, but rather allow me to walk in obedience by the power of your Holy Spirit that you have placed within me. Give me new motives. Give me new desires. Lead my heart. Direct my steps. In Jesus' name, amen.